Thanks for all of you who are here for week two of what we're calling Final Four. Um, Many of you, it's been exciting to see this week, you've joined kind of our reading plan. We gave you a challenge last week that we're gonna make it through the entire Final Four books of the Old Testament. And so um, many of you, who, if you've joined us on that journey, you've already actually made it through the book that we're gonna read tonight called Haggai. Um, And we're already a few chapters into what we're gonna be talking about next week, Zechariah, which is kind of serving as a preview for you. But if you haven't caught on to what we're doing, please join us. We would love to have you be a part of it. Today is day eight. Um, In fact, we're trying to post it right now, but if you're like me and you've tried to refresh your Instagram feed all day long, it's been down like all afternoon. So we'll get it up there just as soon as we can. Um, But some of you may have read Haggai. There's even been a little bit of uh, of a debate in the office. If we call it Haggai or Haggai, I don't know where you fall. What do you think? Haggai, that's what we, we Googled it and that's what it told us. Um, but some of you may have read Haggai um, over the last few days. It's a very short book, only two chapters, but some of you may have read it and had no idea what was going on. Same. And so what I've done in the last few days is I really took a deep dive into kind of some of the background that led into Haggai here. And so just to kind of give you an idea before we jump in today, um, if you go back many, many uh, years ago, back into the Old Testament, King Solomon actually built the temple. Now, a temple is just a place of worship, a place of prayer, a place where they came and sacrificed for their sins. And it goes on to say that it took him seven years to finish it. But if you jump hundreds of years after that, there's a new king. All right, his name is King Jehoiakim. All right, he's only 18 years old at the time. And while he's serving as king, this other king from Babylonian, from Babylon, excuse me, comes in called King Nebuchadnezzar. He comes in, he takes over all of Jerusalem. It says he goes in and basically ransacks the temple, takes all the gold that Solomon put in there, took all these men, about 10,000 of the best men that were in Jerusalem. They left only the weakest behind. And so they weren't content with just that. But several years later, they come back to Jerusalem and end up burning down the temple. And so where we're going to pick up now is that the Jews have come back. There's about 50,000 of them that return from exile and they start hearing this call about rebuilding the temple. And so today we're just going to dive right into this. And I know our time's getting away from us really, really quick. So I'm going to try to make this as quick and as concise as we possibly can. So if you see me scrolling, you know, I ramble a lot and I'm going to try not to do that as much tonight. So today, if you jump in with us in Haggai chapter one, verses one through seven, and it says on August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign, The Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shechiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, who's also Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. I'm never reading those names again. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. So today, we're going to focus on kind of three areas found in the book of Haggai. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to look at 
is selfishness. The first thing we're going to talk about tonight is selfishness. Now, to give you an idea, these Jews, when they came back, they started building back at the temple, and they started with just the foundation, all right? That's where they started, but then they walked away, all right? They started with the foundation, but then that was enough, and they kind of left God's work for their own interests. And they weren't doing anything bad, per se, but they were turning away from what God had asked them to do. And I think it's so true in all of our lives. There's so many times where we're doing great things. Maybe you're working a job to get ready to save for college, or maybe you're involved in different activities at school, or maybe you're even in your church, you're serving in different ministries. And some of us get so wrapped up in all the things that we're doing, and they're all great things, but if we're putting those things ahead of our relationship with God, that's where some of the issues lie. And I'll tell you, I run into that myself. I'll go to coffee with some of you, or I'll sit down and I'll be writing messages, or I'll be spending time with my family. But there's been times over the last year and a half that I find that all those good things that I'm doing, but at times I put those in place of my time with Jesus. And what starts to happen is everything else starts to suffer. You see, don't neglect your time with God every single day. We talked about that last week. Because you can be the right person in the right place, doing the right thing, but still get the wrong results. You can still have things that don't turn out the way you want because you're putting things in front of God. You see, they stopped just when they were at the foundation of the temple. And the foundation of something is very, very important. The foundation of a house is very important. But if you ever build a house, you know that's not where you stop. You have to continue to build upon that. You see, foundation serves two major roles. It serves as the support for the rest of the building, and it serves as a support for when storms come. It stands tall, it stands strong because of the foundation that's on the bottom of the house. You see, you're only as strong as your foundation. In the foundation of our walk with Christ, God wants you to continue to build upon that. He wants you to continue to spend time in his word. He wants you to continue to pray to him. He wants you to continue to dive into his word and really study He wants you to continue to be in relationships with people, other followers of Jesus who can encourage you and help you along in the path that you have. Because, you see, without God in our lives, our lives become a lot like a treadmill where you keep running, but you don't ever get anywhere. Without putting God first in our lives, we can accomplish a lot, but in reality, we're accomplishing very, very little You see, we need to make God our priority because in Matthew 6, 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will fall into place. You see, when God becomes number one in your life, everything else falls into place. Everything else will start to work in your life. You see, a couple times in in this opening chapter, it says, look at what's happening to you. Look at what's happening to you. They say that again and again. And when I read that initially, I thought that could kind of have a negative or a positive connotation. When I was in college, one of my roommates, he broke up with his girlfriend, or in fact, his girlfriend broke up with him. And I remember for the next five days, he just laid on our couch underneath a blanket. He did not take a shower. He smelled like butt. It was not good. He had Doritos all over his face. It was disgusting. And he watched the very first Fast and the Furious movie like 23 times on a loop. And I remember saying almost this exact thing to him, look at what's happening to you. You're a mess, get up. But on the positive side of things, guess what? Just a few days ago, 
I was in our room. I was getting ready for church. And Rach looked at me and she goes, look at what's happening to you. Yeah, baby, what do you mean? She goes, I can tell. Look, she's looking at me like, please don't say anything right now. She's like, I can tell you have been going to the gym. And I'm like, yes, I have. Thank you. Thank you for the applause for that. You cannot tell. But underneath this jacket, it's amazing. (laughs) Okay, calm down. It's not that exciting. Okay, it's not that good. But you see, twice it states, twice in here it states, look at what's happening to you. Other translations in here say, consider your ways. You see, what Haggai was doing here, he was saying, he was asking God's people to consider the path that they were going down, the way their lives were headed, and if they really wanted to continue moving in that way. Because you see, selfishness always has side effects. Have you ever tried to be friends with someone who's selfish? Even worse, have you tried to be in a romantic relationship with someone who's selfish? Where they always pick out the movies, they always decide the schedule that you keep, they always decide when you're gonna get together. It never works. If you're in a selfish relationship, it never, ever works. Listen, see what continues to go on in verse eight here. It says, now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hope for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your hills and fields, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. You see, in other words, when you invest in yourself and you neglect God, you neglect to honor him, what you have is less satisfying. And ultimately, it will never fill what you're missing. You see, selfishness will always kill satisfaction. Selfishness will always kill it. That's why you see Haggai say here, look at what's happening to you. You see, that was his way of challenging each individual to just assess where they are, figure out their priorities, where were they going? And if you look back in verse eight, it says, now go into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. You see, there was a simple solution found there. Be obedient. You see, whenever you're obedient to God, he's always glorified. You see, we don't work in order for God to save us, but we work because God has saved us. It's a mindset. When we know what God has done for us, man, we fall in line and say, God, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to have in me. You see, but it continues in chapter two, looking at verse 10. It says, on December 18th of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Ask the priest this question about the law. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes, and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil, or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? The priest replied, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonial unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will the food be defiled? And the priest answered, yes. Then Haggai responded, that is how it is with this people and this nation, says the Lord. Everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin. There it is again. Look at what was happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. When you hoped for a 20 bushel crop, you harvested only 10. When you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press, you found only 20. I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce. Even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. 
Think about this 18th day of December, the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Think carefully. I'm giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn. You have not yet harvested your grain and your grapevines. Fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have not yet produced their crops. But from this day forward, I will bless you. You see, the second thing that we see here is sinfulness. See, not only were the people selfish, they were sinful. They stopped working because of unconfessed sin in their life. And see, here's what it says when you look at that, because I really had to look through chapter two a little bit more to understand what was going on from verse 10 on it, because it says, if a sanctified, set apart, holy object touches something unclean, would it make the unclean object holy? No, in fact, the sanctified object would now be unclean. What would happen if an unclean object touched another unclean object? Both would still be unclean. A couple weeks ago, I saw somebody at church on a Sunday morning that I hadn't seen in a while. And, and I'll tell you, I'm not one of those people that does like the weird like handshake thing. I can't do that. I'm too old for that. Um, so I'll either give you like a regular like politician handshake or I'll go in for the hug. That's like my one or two options. And so I saw somebody that I hadn't seen in a while. I went up and, and hugged them and I said, how are you doing? And they're like, not good. I have the flu. And I'm like, oh, crap. Uh, good. And I like doused myself in hand sanitizer because I knew just like in here, Sometimes when somebody is sick or somebody is unclean, it has the effect of spreading to other people. And that's what Haggai was saying right here. You see, if I have a sick kid at home, a sick kid cannot catch being healthy from another healthy kid. But you flip that around, a sick kid can pass on his illness to a healthy child. And that's what they're saying in here. Everything they did, everything they offered was unclean. It was defiled by their sin. You see, when you fail to confess your sin, when you try to hide it away from God, I'll tell you, you will never get the full blessing of God. You will never be able to fully step in to what God has for you because he can't heal what you continue to hide. Because back in here, if you see, they hoped for a 20 bushel crop, but they only got 10. They expected 50 gallons of wine, but only got 20. And it goes on to say that God sent blight and mildew and hail. That sounds like the Wizard of Oz. Blight and mildew and hail. Oh my. Um, they had ignored the warning signs. And here's what it says. Even so, you refuse to return to me, says the Lord. Can I tell you, there's warning signs going on in our world right now that Jesus is very, very close to be coming back. Now, I'm not one of those guys that stands on a street corner with a sign proclaiming the end of the world. But you eat, need only look at the news, pick up a newspaper, and you'll see that some of these things are coming to pass. There's increased wars going on in the world. It goes on to say that famine is going to run rampant. We have people throughout the world that don't have enough food to eat. It goes on to say that Christians will continue to be persecuted throughout the world. I just read an article just the other day about there are Christians, up to tens of thousands of Christians in North Korea that are in detainment camps right now. It goes on to say that that's what's going to happen, that the increase in Christians persecuted throughout the world. I tell you all that to be ready. Get your heart ready, get your life ready, because I've heard it since I was growing up, Jesus is coming back. And I never knew when that was gonna be. But the more I read in God's word, the more that I hear about things going on in the world, he's coming. Are you ready? We need to have our lives prepared. And if you have not entered into a relationship with Jesus, if you have not made your heart right with God and you have not figured out where you're going for eternity, don't wait any longer because it's coming. And you need to be ready. You see, God promised blessing 
if they got their lives back in order, if they put him first, because he said, but from this day onward, I will bless you. Can I tell you, sometimes our lives don't go the way we want because we haven't put God first in our lives. There's so many times in my life I keep saying, God, why haven't you shown up? Why haven't you moved the way that you promised you would? And so many times it's because I haven't put God at the center of my life. You see, growing up, we lived in this apartment complex in Missouri for about two years. And I loved it because right next to the apartment complex, we had this creek. It was like a poor man's swimming pool. And me and my friends would go down there every single day in the summer, and we would just play in this creek. And one day, we went down there, and we noticed that the water was a little bit lower than what was going on. Well, on the other side of the creek, they were building a brand new medical building. And what we realized, my friends and I, is that as they were starting to build this new building, and they were digging up stuff, they were throwing the debris, they were throwing the bricks into the creek, and it was stopping the water from coming. It wasn't moving the way that it should be. And you see, there was a barrier between the water and between us on the other side. And so one day, my friends and I, we got down there, and we started for hours just moving all this stuff. And what started to happen is that the water started moving again down to us. And I say that because I think that's so often what we do in our relationship with God. We put all these things in between us and God and the blessings he has for us, the plans he has for us cannot flow because we put everything else ahead of him. But when you start to put him first, he removes that stuff. And man, just wait. When you put God first in your life, what starts to happen? Beyond anything that you could ever even imagine. So I'm telling you today, don't block the blessing. Don't block the blessing that God has for you. When you put him first and you say, God, whatever you wanna do, I'm open. Because if we continue in the last few verses here in chapter two, it says on that same day, December 18th, the Lord sent this second message to Haggai. Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall and their riders will kill each other. But when this happens, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Shetiel, my servant. I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord, for I have chosen you. I, the Lord of heaven's army, has spoken. You see, as I was reading this, I honestly wasn't sure what it meant when they said, I will make you like a signet ring. But you see, ancient kings used signet rings to kind of show their authority or to show their rule. It was a ring that had the official symbol of the king on it. And so what they would do is they would take that ring and they would melt it and they would put it into hot wax. And that's what they would use to kind of close up envelopes or they would put it at the very bottom of a letter and that would show that that was written by the king. That was written by authority. It had some heft to it. And so as we see here, he's calling Zerubbabel I will make you like a signet ring on my finger. And I'm sure at this time, the job of rebuilding the city was imposing. You see, it was full of debris. It had been burnt down. Nobody wanted to help in the process. And he only had a few thousand people to do the work. And they had lost their motivation. But you see, when God says to Zerubbabel, I will make you like a signet ring, it signifies two things. That God would be with him and give him authority to rebuild the temple But ultimately, the second part is that he was marked out as royalty 
and was precious in God's sight. You see, Zerubbabel came from the line of David. He was a descendant of David, and therefore, that line was one day gonna be the family line of Jesus. You see, he was marked out as special. He was marked out as royalty. That's how God saw him. Zerubbabel had God's mark of approval. Because in verse 22, when you see that, I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall and their riders will kill each other. You see, I will overthrow. And some of you need to hear that today, no matter how far you veer from the path, when you turn your life, when you turn your heart back to Jesus, he will fight for us. You see, I often say that some of us are in one of three places. We're either coming out of a battle, we're in the midst of a battle right now, or we're getting ready to move into one. You see, God strengthens you. God gets you prepared for what you're going to endure, and he will walk through with you through every season. You see, he does that because he loves you. You see, it was amazing to sit down with Kyron yesterday. That's a young man that if you knew his entire story, he's been through a lot in the last year, last year and a half. But it was cool to sit with him because as we were sitting there talking, we realized that all the stuff he'd gone through wasn't a punishment from God, but that God was giving him a platform to share what God had done in his life. And so to listen to him tonight, share what Jesus had done in his life, and he's, is he where he needs to be yet? No, he'd be the first one to tell you that. But God has put him on a path, and there's great things that are coming for that young man. And it's the same thing for each and every one of us. You see, in verse 23, it says, for I have chosen you. For I have chosen you. You see, when God chooses you, you start to walk a little different. When you know who you are in God's sight, people start to see you a little bit differently, but you start to see yourself a little bit differently. You have God's mark upon you. You're a child of God. You see, when you're a son or daughter of the king, man, you start to act like one. You start to rise to that occasion. You start to say, man, here is what God says about me, and I'm going to walk in to all that he has, the purpose and the plan that he has for my life. Because listen to this in Ephesians 1, it says, even before he made the foundation of the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You see, let that verse sink in. Before he created the world, he was thinking of you. Every time I read that verse, I can't imagine that in the creation of the world, that God had me in mind with all my faults, with all my mess, with all my mistake, and he still chose to believe in me. He still chose to love me, and he still chose to put me on a path beyond anything I could ever even imagine. You see, regardless of your selfishness, regardless of your sinfulness, he says, I still love you. You see, this third point that I wanna give you, I'm a little bit OCD, so we talked about selfishness. We talked about sinfulness. Can I tell you what this last one is? Signetness. That's stupid, I know. It was just, I couldn't end it like that. I couldn't say. So signetness. So what that means is when God says, you are my signet ring, you have my approval. I have chosen you. You see, when you know God's chosen you, you can stand firm and face anything that comes against you. 
When you know what God says about you, man, you can deflect the lies that other people come against you. I was just meeting with somebody the other day. And they were saying, I mean, I want to drop out of school. It's hard for me to walk in class every single day when I walk there. People just keep saying lies about me. I get abused in a lot of ways when I'm there, and I just can't do it. And we started to just sit down together, and we just started to pray, and we just started to look at God's scripture and what he says about you. And I got a text on Monday, and I said, hey, how'd it go? And, and he said, you know, I'm walking a little bit straighter, and it wasn't easy, but he said, throughout my whole day, even when nobody paid attention to me, he goes, I felt God with me every single step of the way. And some of you need to remember that. You never walk through this life by yourself. God is with you. He says, you are my signet ring. You have my approval. You have my love. I've chosen. And some of you need to hear that today. No matter where you are, no matter what you're walking through right now, God loves you. God cares about you. God has your best at heart. Will you just pray with me today? Dear God, I thank you for these leaders. I thank you for these students. And God, it's so exciting to hear the work that you're doing in each one of their lives. God, all of us are far from perfect, but we know that when we open up our heart to you, God, you start to do some amazing things in our lives. You start to take us to places we could never be on our own. And so God, I pray that this night, this week, that we would give up our selfish behavior, God, that we would put you first in our lives that you would help us with the sin that we get entangled in, God, that you would just be with us every single step of the way, that we know that each day is a fresh start, a new day. And so, God, I pray that we would just come to you, that we would confess those sins that have kept us apart from you, God. And ultimately, God, may we never forget that you've chosen us, that you've given us the authority, that you say you are mine, and that no matter what we're going through, we know that you're there with us every single step of the way. God, I pray for these students as they go through about their day, I pray for them tomorrow as they head back to school and for the rest of the week that you would just be with them, that you would shower them with love every single step of the way, that you have a purpose and a plan and a destiny for their life and the greatest of their days are still yet to come. God, we thank you for who you are. We love you and in your name, amen.